Welcome to the Juggling Without Balls podcast. My name is Monica Parkin and I am your host. And every week on the show, I'm going to be talking to powerful, successful women who juggle it all. And when I say juggle it all, I mean everything. Kids, health, aged parents, careers, relationships, you name it, we're going to talk about it. So stick around, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a seat and enjoy the show. Hello, jugglers, and welcome to another episode. My guest today is Dr. Rashna Patel. She is a rare breed of physician who specializes in cannabinoid medicine. She's been treating patients with CBD products and medical marijuana since 2012, and she has walked thousands of patients through how to effectively use CBD products and or medical marijuana for their specific medical conditions. Looking forward to speaking to her today, finding out a bit about her history, and answering some of my listener questions. Welcome, Dr. Patel. Okay, welcome, Dr. Patel, to the show. I'm so happy you're here. I uh, posted on my social media last week that you were going to be on the show, and did people have questions? And I got literally dozens and dozens of questions. So obviously, it's a very hot topic. It's something that people have a lot of interest in. But before we jump into sort of your expertise in the CBD world, you want to tell me a little bit about your own personal background? Like you're a emergency room physician. Is that correct? Or did I have that wrong? Yeah. So my background is in emergency medicine, but I never practiced. I ventured into cannabinoid medicine, so medical cannabis, back in 2012. And since then, there's been no turning back. So you obviously you're on one path and then you took a little side road and it took you somewhere else. So what led to that interest or this area of specialty for you? I responded to an ad on Craigslist, quite honestly. So I was sleep deprived in residency and I was in that state where you're too wired to sleep, but you're too tired to actually be productive. So much like any other person, I was surfing the internet <laughs> in that state of mind. And that's when I, so I happened to be on Craigslist because I was virtually dumpster diving. I had a, a very barely furnished apartment at that point. And so I was looking for some good finds on Craigslist. And I happened to click on the medical health. And that's when I came across an ad that said, medical marijuana doctor needed. And I had never heard of such a thing before in my life. And so I became incredibly curious, piqued my curiosity so I did two things. One, I started to dig into the research. And then secondly, I looked at, okay, how does this work logistically? How are physicians practicing solely as medical cannabis physicians? And about a year later, after spending a lot of time on a site called PubMed.gov, which is where the government houses a lot of our uh, of the medical studies that are done both in the United States as well as internationally. After spending a ton of time on there, I decided there is a lot of potential for this medication here. At the same time, being in the emergency room, like any bright-eyed med school grad. You were doing a residency in the emergency room at that time, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. While all this was going on, I was training in emergency medicine and I was becoming disillusioned, mainly because uh, my my hope, my goal, what my dream was to impact lives. And a lot of what I found myself doing was just prescribing pain medications. And given the nature of our medical system, a lot of these patients would come back into the emergency room 
And a couple different things would happen. They would say, okay, these medications didn't work. They would say, I'm having side effects from these medications. Or in the worst case of scenarios, I would be in the unfortunate position of having to resuscitate patients who had either intentionally or unintentionally overdosed on these medications. Yeah, or it's become progressive. That original OxyContin now became something else, which became something else. And yeah. I'm not fulfilling any sort of purpose here. I'm just, I'm standing at a revolving door, essentially, handing out prescriptions on the one hand, and then trying to fix the problems that these very prescriptions are causing. So I was at a crossroads at that point. Where, where do I want to go from here? And because I saw so much potential in cannabinoids, you know, what I was reading about THC. At that time, there wasn't much uh, research out there on CBD. I I saw a lot of potential. And at that point, I was like, okay, I I have the medical knowledge now because I've read, at that point, I had read like thousands of medical studies. I said, let me, let me get the patient knowledge, right? The clinical skills and also observe to see what sort of clinical outcomes patients are experiencing. So that's when I signed up to work at a medical marijuana clinic back in 2012. And I was seeing, gosh, so many patients. In a year's worth of time, I saw thousands of patients. And the reports that these patients brought back were incredible. These patients who experienced chronic pain, who in conventional medicine, they were known as being resistant to treatment. We're actually responding to cannabinoid treatment. I was treating patients who were having excruciating nausea and vomiting from chemotherapy. I was treating children with autism. These conditions that are, are known to be difficult to treat in conventional medicine, these patients were responding to these treatments. And the most common conditions that I ended up treating were chronic pain, anxiety, insomnia. And quite frankly, who in America doesn't have one of those three? Yeah, yeah. That pretty much covers the whole population right there. And so from there, did you open up your own practice or this is just where this whole educational piece began where you realized that there's actually a big piece of information missing and because clearly you're working really hard at disseminating information and educating the public about it. You're not just sitting in an office treating patients now. So your vision has grown, right? Yeah. So basically a lot of these clinics that had popped up in California at the time were essentially mills where doctors were just handing out cards because there were so many loopholes in in the laws in California. But what I found was that I was in Sacramento at the time and I was treating a lot of attorneys who worked at the state capitol. And they were coming in saying, I have anxiety. And sometimes I use the cannabis and it helps, but other times it, it makes it worse to the point where I feel paranoid. What is going on? How do I get consistent results? So little by little, I developed protocols based on the research, based on the reports that I was getting from patients, combining the two. And I was able to walk patients through a specific protocol so that they could then get consistent results. And because these were mills, there was a lot of time pressure, right? Because they were playing a volume game because all the clinics were competing on price and the owners of the clinic, who were also physicians, were putting a lot of pressure on um, the physicians who were doing the recommending, who were issuing the medical marijuana company. Get through in a day. Yeah. Exactly. And so I didn't have the time. I simply didn't have the time to spend with patients. So at that point, I was like, you know what? There is a patient population here who is really looking to be served in a different way than these clinics are serving them. So that's when I started my own practice where I I did charge more 
because I was spending more time with the patient, but they appreciated it and they were more than happy to to pay what I, I charged at the time. Yeah. And you're providing like this comprehensive holistic approach, I assume, to their like looking at their whole health and their lifestyle yeah. and then figuring out what's going to work for them rather than just here's your prescription, go pick it up at the counter. Yeah. And the other thing that I did that patients appreciated was that when I started my YouTube channel, I made it clear for which conditions cannabis was not helpful and because it's not a cure-all. And so they appreciated that as well, that, okay, I just saved myself a trip, my time and money as well. And thank you for putting this information out there. Yeah. But then they would give me referrals. So, so that, yeah, that's essentially um, how it worked. And then in 2018, I actually closed up my practice. Essentially, I was getting requests from people as well as referrals from physicians throughout the United States. I was also getting requests now internationally from throughout the world for consults. And so I worked with an attorney to figure out, okay, how can I make this possible? How can I offer my expertise throughout the, the United States, throughout the world? And, and we were able to, to figure out uh, something out. And so that's when I transitioned my practice online. Right. From brick and mortar to online. And growing in a different way. And obviously you didn't do that because of COVID. But when I've been talking to business owners on the show, like what's the one pivot you did through COVID? They said that going online allowed them to just expand their reach. Like maybe they were teaching yeah. music lessons locally. Now they can not only teach them globally, but they can recruit teachers globally. And I would think the same thing for you when you go online all of a sudden you can reach and help so many more people than you could yes. if you stayed in a small practice, right? Yeah. Gosh, I've helped people in England and South Africa and Indonesia, just to name, you know, a, a few of the countries I've helped people in and, and then also throughout the United States. And so that, that's a great feeling. Plus yeah. there are other medical professionals who are in the industry that turn to my channel for, as a resource for information as well. And when I say my channel, my YouTube channels. We're going to post that link in the show notes as well so that listeners will have them. So that's fantastic. So that's where you are now. I've got a bunch of questions from listeners and there's probably some things that you want to share as well, but maybe we'll just start going through those questions and we'll see where that takes us. Yeah, um, let's do it. So first question is that just like you said, a large portion of the population has stress and anxiety in their life. My listeners happen to be really high performing, busy women with a lot of stress in their lives in terms of treating anxiety. Like how yeah. does someone figure out the right product, the right dose to, to find that balance between not feeling like they're high and anxious, but also feeling like they can come down a bit. And then I guess that the other question that goes with that is the method of delivery. And so maybe we can get into that as well, but I'm going to hand that over to you for a minute. Yeah. So anxiety, key thing is don't use THC products. You basically want to use CBD products, whether they're hemp-based or marijuana-based, because it's the CBD that's interacting with the serotonin receptors. And serotonin is what's important in reducing anxiety levels in, in the body, okay? And so that's what you're aiming for. A common mistake that's often made is that in states where marijuana is available for either recreational or for medical use, people will go into a dispensary and purchase THC products. And then they find themselves in a situation in which the, their anxiety is getting worse. They're feeling paranoid. 
So that's really the main thing when it comes to anxiety. Okay. And then now when you say either hemp braced or THC, like what I know when I've gone to purchase CBD is that they always have, it always seems like it always has a little bit of THC in it. Is there a way to avoid that? Are there products that don't, or is that little bit of THC so negligible that it's not going to affect your experience with the product? Because I feel like that's a thing. I feel like when you're taking, at least what here in Canada, if you go into a government store, all the CBD products have a little bit of THC in them. So do you mind addressing that? Yeah. So basically there's the cannabis family of plants. Okay. And within this family, you have hemp and you have marijuana. They're essentially like cousins. Uh, You can think of them as cousins or even siblings really. And really the difference between the two boils down to the amount of THC. Okay. So by law, And this is a generally accepted international law. Hemp-based products have to have less than 0.3% THC. And then by default, marijuana-based products have more than 0.3% THC, okay? So overall, when you you purchase a marijuana-based product, it will have more than that 0.3% THC. Now, it may have a much higher proportion of CBD to THC, and depending on how much higher the CBD is compared to THC, the effects of THC could be pretty much negligible. Okay. That's marijuana-based products. Now, hemp-based products, like I mentioned, have less than 0.3% THC, and they typically fall into three different categories. Right. Yeah. So there's three different types of hemp-based CBD products. Okay. So there are full-spectrum CBD products, and these in general have less than 0.3% THC. There are broad spectrum CBD products that have less than 0.00% THC. And then there are isolate CBD products that have negligible amounts of THC. Okay. And they all have their pros and cons, but those are some of the ways that you can avoid THC in marijuana-based and hemp-based products. Okay. Wonderful. Now, again, I'm speaking from, I'm going to speak from my own experience for a minute. If we could talk about side effects of CBD, because I, like, I always felt like there was no side effects, but, and I don't know if it's the kind of CBD that I take, but I started taking it in the evenings thinking it would help me sleep. And what I found after a few weeks is I get this kind of weird sensation in my fingers and my toes, almost if you've been driving a lawnmower and you stop and they still feel like they're vibrating. Is that just a anomaly for me? Or is that a side effect that sometimes happens to people? Or is there maybe something else in that product and it's not pure that's causing that? Yeah. Okay. So in general, when it comes to cannabinoids, the side effects are dose dependent. Okay. So if you're taking too high of a dose, that's when you're going to start to experience the side effects. Now, the most common side effect of CBD is waking up feeling tired or groggy. Okay. The side effect that you're talking about It may be because the product that you have has THC in it. And as you increase the dose of CBD, you're also increasing the dose of THC and therefore are now experiencing side effects of the THC. And what you're describing is known in the medical world as paresthesias. So it's almost like getting um, a sensation in your your feet or in your hands when there's no external stimuli, okay? Like you described, that it feels like you're after you've mowed... um, a lawn with a lawnmower. It's like this vibration in your fingertips yes. and your toes. It's just bizarre. And it used to actually really freak me out until I finally connected it. Oh, I took the dose an hour later. Mm-hmm. This is happening. That must be what it is. But yeah. 
Yeah. So that's likely what's happening. I, I don't know uh, the specifics of the product that you're taking, but I've actually had patients have the exact same um, problem. And it's typically because of the TH, you know, the THC in the product. And so either the product needs to be switched or the dose needs to be adjusted. And so when you're working with patients to figure out a dose, say coming to you, I need this for anxiety, I need this for sleep, whatever. Do you start at the lowest dose and work your way up? Or do you have a standard dose where you start people at? Or how do you find that sweet spot? Because it sounds like everyone's a little bit different. Are we? Do we have different receptors in our body? Some of us receive it, not receive it faster, but could the dose that I take affect me differently than say the dose another 47-year-old female of my same height and weight would be affected? Absolutely. Let me give you an example. So I had two patients, two females who were both struggling with insomnia. And they were about the same body size and body shape. So it had similar be- And they were otherwise healthy, had no other medical problems. And I, it was mild to moderate insomnia. So I recommended a high CBD product. In this case, it was marijuana-based. It was the same product I recommended to both patients. One patient ended up needing only 0.5 milligrams of, of CBD to fall asleep. And the other patient ended up needing 50, five zero milligrams to fall asleep. And so there's a wide uh, a range uh, of dose differences from person to person. Your body weight has nothing to do with it. That's actually a misconception. The cannabinoids, you know, CBD, THC, they're very unique molecules in that they are fat soluble, not water soluble. Okay. I would say molecules that are most similar to it are vitamins A, D, E, and K, because these are fat soluble vitamins. Right. Yeah. And so we all store uh, fat-soluble molecules differently because we all hold on to fat differently. So some yeah. people can get rid of their fat very easily. For others, it's a bit stubborn and they have a harder time getting rid of it. And because these chemicals are getting stored in the fat cells in your body, that, that's one factor that's impacting your dose. And then the other factor is that uh, these chemicals, the THC, CBD, they get processed in our liver. And in our liver, we have essentially a machine known as cytochrome P450. And the job of this machine is to break down chemicals that we introduce to our body. And the parts of the machine are very are influenced by our genetics. And so they vary from person to person. And so some people can break down chemicals quickly, and then some people, it, it takes them a little bit. Their machine works a little bit slower. And as you can imagine, if your machine works slower, then the chemicals stay, they accumulate uh, in your bloodstream. More of the chemical accumulates in your bloodstream. Whereas if the machine works quicker, you break down the chemical quickly. So sort of like the half-life of the drug becomes longer yeah. because it takes longer for it to clear your body. Yes. Like, or when you need the next dose might be different than when someone else yes. needs their next dose. Okay. Yeah. And this particular chemical has two half-lives. It has a plasma half-life, so when the molecule is floating around in your bloodstream, and then it has the tissue half-life. So when the molecule is stored in the fat cells in the body, just to give a scientific right. foundation to what you said. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so now on the same sort of topic, we're talking about the liver. So clearly when you orally consume products, they go through your liver. Yes. What happens if, say, someone vapes or inhales the product? Does it still go through the liver or does it go through a different pathway? <clears throat> say someone had a a bad liver and they don't want to put any more stress on it, would they right. choose a different pathway or vice versa if they've got emphysema? Like, I know I've just jumped to a whole new area, but what would make you choose one method of delivery over another method of delivery? What would be the advantage or the disadvantage? 
So medical history is one, right? So that, so that's one thing. But the other thing is that the condition in and of itself, okay, and the nuances of the conditions. Let me give you an example. Let's take migraines, for instance. Yeah. So with migraines, there's really a, a two-pronged approach. There's a preventative and an abortive, okay? So preventative is that we, we want to prevent migraines altogether in the patient. And abortive is, well, in the case that they have a migraine, how do we stop it? Okay. And patients with migraines who, let's just say they get migraines every once in a while, once every six months. In that case, I would not take a preventative approach. I would just take an abortive approach. So you want to stop it quickly, right? Your patient's having a migraine. You don't want them to have to, to ride through it for hours and hours on end. In that case, I choose a quick acting method of administration, which is inhalation. Now, I never recommend smoking ever because it does do damage to the long term. However, vaping is a good option. There's two things you can vape. You can vape flour, bud, as it's known on the streets, or you can vape oils as well, okay? And because it takes seconds to minutes to take effect, within like about 20 minutes, which is what most patients report, the migraine has now subsided. However, if I have a patient who's having migraines two to three times a week, in that case, I'm going to take a very uh, you know, strong preventative approach and will utilize edibles and or sublinguals, which are known as tinctures on the market, and get them on a regimen so that we can reduce the number of migraines that they're experiencing. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. What about, because we're on the case of migraines, so going back to me again, this show is not all about me, but I get the TMJ <laughs> jaw pain. And the one thing yeah. that works the most effective, and then that leads to migraine. But if I put like a THC CBD cream right on my jaw and my temple, sure. the very first sign of it, it will just go away. Is that something that you would like that you might add on to someone's sort of program? Or is that something that you wouldn't normally do the topical? Yeah. Where you have muscular pain, right? So what's causing the pain, let's just take the example of TMJ. You have your chewing muscle, which is known as a masseter. Okay. And, and that, and then you have a muscle on your, on your head known as a temporalis muscle. So it's really, those muscles are tight, which is causing the pain. Now the muscle is fairly superficial. It's not deep. And so if you apply something topically, it's going to penetrate in that area locally. And it's going to help the muscle to relax. However, if you have, for instance, like a deep-rooted nerve pain or like an arthritis of the back, for instance, then you would want to take take cannabinoids internally rather than externally because it's just too much tissue to penetrate for a topical. Yeah, it's not right on the surface there. So that's also part of how you determine the method of delivery. I guess, yeah, so the anatomy well. has to be taken into consideration. Yeah. And so one of the questions from viewers is, what about autoimmune things like rheumatoid arthritis, spondylosis, things like that? What What's the method of delivery or what is the sort of the protocol that you utilize for those kinds of chronic pain conditions? Yeah, autoimmune conditions, it's always internal because it's systemic, right? What we what cannabinoids have an anti-inflammatory effect. And so you always want to take internal, whether it's inhalation, sublinguals, again, tinctures or edibles. Now, the other important thing to keep in mind is that you need both CBD and THC. Here's a reason why. CBD has an anti-inflammatory effect and then THC has an anti-inflammatory effect. When you combine the two, you get a synergistic effect. So the sum of combining the two has an even greater anti-inflammatory effect 
than each individual, than each molecule individual. Okay. And same thing, like you were talking with the other, if someone had a chronic pain condition, you would have them on a regular dosage rather than waiting for a flare-up? Yeah. Okay. And and if they have like breakthrough pain, for instance, then we would come up with a plan of action so that they, they know what they need to do in the instance of, of having breakthrough pain. Okay. And then another yeah. question going back to vaping that was asked, does vaping THC pose the same dangers as say vaping nicotine? There's been a lot of reports about popcorn lung or whatever that condition yeah. is. What are the concerns around that or what do you take into consideration when you recommend vaping? And is it the same as vaping nicotine or is it different? So when it comes to vape pens, what we found in those instances where patients had lung damage, it was because the vape pens had vitamin E acetate in them as well as mineral oil. So that those are important questions to ask when you purchase the vape pen because in most countries, the industry is not regulated or as well-regulated as it should be. So you want to make sure, first and foremost, that the vape oil is extracted in carbon dioxide as opposed to some sort of hydrocarbon like butane, for instance. Butane is what's in, in lighter fluid, okay? Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to expose your lungs to that. Yeah. Or sometimes they'll use hexane or propane. Propane is what you use to hook up to your barbecue grill. And so that's first and foremost question. How was this made? What was the solvent that was used to make the vape oil? Second question is, was either vitamin E, acetate, or mineral oil utilized in making the vape oil? Honestly, if you're going to vape, the really the, the best approach is to vape bud. So there are devices out there, they're vape pens, or vape, I'm sorry, vaporizers that can be used to vape bud directly. Heat it up to a very high level and, and then you'll inhale it as a vaporized product. Is that how those work? Yep, exactly. Yeah, you take the bud, you grind it up, you stuff it in this little chamber that's in the vaporizer, and then you usually push a button, it heats up the chamber, and and then you inhale the cannabinoids now. And then um, for sure, you're not getting all those other products mixed with whatever your product is you're taking, for sure what you're putting in there. And then if you're going to vape bud, you want to make sure it's organic in that case. So you're not vaping any pesticides. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Because if it's been sprayed with pesticides and then you're inhaling it, you're inhaling all that stuff into your lungs. Wonderful information. I did have another question from people about CBD use in pregnancy. Is it helpful for morning sickness? And if it is, it actually safe for use in pregnancy? That question came up several times. So I thought it would be a good one to ask. Yes. I take a very cautious approach in women who are planning on becoming pregnant, who are pregnant or who are breastfeeding. We have some data that shows that the use of cannabinoids during pregnancy could could potentially lead to low birth weight and uh, preterm labor and delivery. And then what we also know is that cannabinoids do get passed through breast milk to the infant. And we don't know what the long-term impact is of exposing an infant to cannabinoids. So I actually don't recommend the use of cannabinoids, again, in women who are planning on becoming pregnant, who are pregnant, or who are breastfeeding. Okay. Okay. Great to know. And what about people going through chemotherapy or just finished cancer or radiation treatment that are experiencing nausea? Is that a, it sounds like excellent, that's an excellent use treatment for the option, product, right? Yeah. Yes. Excellent treatment option. It helps to stimulate appetite. Patients find themselves eating more and they there's just more taste to the food, right? They can smell it. They can taste it. Like it, 
it brings them back to having a normal experience of con- consuming food. Wonderful. I feel like we're almost out of time. We could almost do a whole second show uh, with more. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to do another one in a few months. A couple quick questions. The drug interactions. Do, do these things interact with other drugs? Is that something that you need to be consulting with a professional about? Say you're taking a heart meditation medication, you decide to take THC. Is there a potential for a side effect there or is it pretty benign that way? There's definitely potential for drug interaction. One example that I can give you is certain seizure medications. When you combine the use of certain seizure medications with CBD, it can affect the liver. It can raise what's known as your liver enzyme levels. Okay. So, you know, your liver function has to be closely monitored. When in, in certain patients who are on medications that have the potential to cause hepatocellular injury, right? So, basically, any drug that has the potential to cause liver damage, when combined with CBD, it can exacerbate that liver damage. And so, the liver function has to be monitored. So, that's just an example of. A, a drug interaction, but there's there are a good number of others that need to be monitored as well. Last question before I ask you if there's anything that you want to add on here as well, but Parkinson's disease. I've seen a lot of videos on social media lately about people taking it for Parkinson's and it looks like they're taking an oral product, but is that um, something that you found to be effective or... Yeah, you see these videos online and I don't know how doctored they are, but it, <laughs> yeah. it looks yeah, it looks as if it's miraculous. In the patients that I've treated with Parkinson's, they do need to continue to take their their prescription medication. The most common that's prescribed is carbidopa levodopa. However, they find that when they combine their prescription medication regimen with the use of cannabinoids, they find that they have greater pain relief. They have a reduction in the tremors that they experience as well. That then helps with the quality of their sleep. And it's not miraculous by any means, as is, is uh, you know shown in some videos, but yeah. it is helpful. Yeah. Okay. And now all these patients that are looking for treatment options or dosages or whatever, it sounds like you should not be just self-diagnosing, going to the store, trying stuff off the shelf. It sounds like really working with a cannabinoid physician is the best choice because then you're going to get someone that can really walk you through this. Is there a directory, a listing where people can find a physician that has a a very specific knowledge about cannabis? Do you do one-on-one consults? What would be the step for someone that's, I've got this chronic condition. I don't know where to begin. I need to talk to someone. I want to get started on a regimen. What do they, like, what do they do? What's their next step? Yeah. So there aren't a lot of physicians that specialize in in medical cannabis. Here's what I'm going to recommend. And First and foremost, you can head on over to my YouTube channel. I'm constantly answering questions there. And then I'm more than happy to, to work with folks one-on-one and walk them through step-by-step how to use the cannabinoids in their particular situation. Yeah. Okay, great. And we're going to post some links to your YouTube channel. I think you've got a website and any other social media stuff you've got going on. Is there anything you want to add, any events, anything you have coming up or anything that I didn't cover that you feel like is important that we should have covered? Just that if your audience has further questions, they can post them on my YouTube channel. And whenever I get the chance, I will set aside a day or two and just record videos and then start uploading them to YouTube. Wonderful. Fabulous. And we will definitely post a link to that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for this week. To get more information on any of my guests or to book me as a speaker at your next event, please visit jugglingwithoutballs.ca. And you would totally make my day if you left me a review or you sent me an email 
at monica at jugglingwithoutballs.ca and let me know what you got out of this week's episode. I'm hoping to read some of those reviews and some of those emails on future episodes. Have a great week, jugglers. Jugglers.